Yeah, I'm recording. And uh, it's going into the blue snowball. All right, good. Channel it into the blue snowball, and then the particles go inside the computer, and that's what makes our radio show. Um, uh, Instead, I just spend like a half hour talking about The Flash. (laughs) No, do not do this. This is a Star Wars podcast, buddy. Okay, I'm going to do the countdown clap, and I'll talk us in. Okay. um, Let me just get the Wikipedia open. Okay, Okay. I'm ready. All right. Three, two, one. One. Hello and, and welcome to a, I don't know, if, is this going to be the first bonus? It's a bonus episode uh, for between seasons here. We're on season break right now, but, they, but we still want to give you all something a little special. So like we did between Heir to the Empire and Dark Force Rising, uh, which you have just listened to the no doubt thrilling conclusion Um I hate to to you know really blow anyone's minds, but we're actually recording this before we've even finished the main uh, the main run of the season. Am I revealing too much, Ronnie? I don't know. I, I, I... for all we know, the conclusion's a pile of shit. <laughs> That's true. Much like the characters in what we're going to talk about today, <laughs> because this is one that Ronnie has been to to, to uh, paraphrase from this movie uh, the comment. Uh... What if the conclusion to uh, Dark Force Rising sucks? And then end credits. Yeah, yeah. Just like how the, you know, the, the Sopranos ripped that off for, uh, for their finale. Um, yeah, we are talking about the 2009, or well, really intended to be 2007, then pushed back to 2008, and finally dumped in February of 2009. Uh, As all good films are. Buddy comedy period piece, Fanboys. Uh, which is set in the far off year 1998, uh, and but was made in the so I don't know. I mean, we'll have so much to talk about about this, but yeah, this is something that Ronnie has been threatening me with for a long time now. You might be wondering, well, why? What is? Why are you talking about it? How does this relate to Admiral Thrawn? You know, the the central being of my existence as a Thrawnerdome listener. Well, because this is a Star Wars movie of a type. These are these are Star Wars fanboys. Who are breaking into Skywalker Ranch to steal uh, a rough cut of the Phantom Menace? That's our that's the ha- setup. That's I like to think of this movie as Episode Six Point Five. <laughs> truly, truly, it's the bridge between the uh, the Lucas Star Wars movies and the Disney Star Wars movies. That's a good point. Yeah, so it would have been the that would have been the last film with official Star Wars content. Until the Disney ones, right? Yes. Yeah. Oh, wow. That is handing off the torch. <laughs> Spectacularly. Um, but yeah, so Ryan's been threatening me with this for a while, and he was very insistent. And it was only when we were like five minutes into it, and, and I was already aghast and, and re- repelled, that Ronnie revealed that he has already seen this movie. How many times have you seen this movie, Ronnie? I think this is at least my third time, the time we watched it <laughs> last night. So this really was a matter of like what I inflicted on my wife when I when I introduced her to the room, uh, sight unseen, with no Dude, words. I watched this on my personal Blu-ray copy personal of the film. <laughs> signed by, uh, what's his name? Sam, Sam I Huntington. wish it was signed by Ernest Klein. Or signed by Ernest Klein. Yeah, so... Um, Oh, so our, our our listeners might be interested to know that this is actually this is this was Ernest Klein's first real bite at the apple. This was a couple of years before Ready Player One. You he published Ready Player One, and that was of course a, a a huge smash hit, international smash hit 
novel, later Steven Spielberg movie. Um, but prior to that, he was working at, he, did he have other scripts? Is this his only screenwriting credit? I believe so. Um, yeah, it says on his Wikipedia page, uh, like in life and career, it goes fanboys, spoken word, books. That's right. Yeah. Ernest Klein did. Uh, I'm happy to inform you all. Ernest Klein was the slam poetry champion of Austin, uh, two non-consecutive da- Daniel. years. Dan, Daniel, do you want to know what the title of his poetry uh, collection is? is? I, I would love to hear Ernest Klein's poetry collection title. The Importance of Being Earnest. Oh. He just went with the first idea he had, huh? That's that's pretty rough. Um, well, t- let's break it. Let's... I mean, this this movie is, is rife with the first idea anyone's ever had. <laughs> and no one ever took another look at it yeah so what do you think is the best way to, to do this ronnie I, I guess like kind of like run through the 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 happens of the movie what's at the plot and then we can kind of i guess i think dig if into we the, i think if we roughly summarize the plot we can we'll find out sort of dig into yeah. all of the things that are wrong okay, well, with the movie well, which is the movie yes and i'm going to rely on you to do that because you've seen this movie 10 times so I, I think it falls on you to I, summarize. I, I again I, I watch it every uh every May the fourth. That's it's my <laughs> it's my way personal, of celebrating Star Wars. It's your personal May the fourth be with you day. Yeah. I mean a lot of people watch like their favorite Star Wars movie. They might watch like The Mandalorian or, or uh those uh those Ewok movies. I watch fanboys. Yeah. That's how you keep your connection to the to the franchise. <laughs> I think I wanna start start by saying uh do you remember the the poster for Forty uh, Year Old Virgin? I do. Yes. Where it's got like it's just got Steve Carell with like a dumb look his, on his, his face, his big smiling face, looking up. Yeah. Um, the poster for Fanboys is a an homage to the to Forty Year Old Virgin, but instead of Steve Carell's stupid face, you've got Darth Vader's helmet. Oh, oh, I didn't put that together. I've seen that image, and I just did not even think. That's really stupid. You probably thought, wow, that's a very uninspired offering from something awful. But no, <laughs> it's a major motion picture. I could have sworn that's something I saw on Photoshop Friday on FARC. But no, it's an actual feature film's uh, poster. This film begins on Halloween night in 1998, um, where our principal characters meet at a Halloween party, and they're, they have pre-existing relationships to each other. But this is... You, you, might, you might say this film is a bromance. <laughs> I would say that. It's a, four, it's a four-way polycule it, because bromance. Because this was a 2009 film, so bromance would still be uh, in the vernacular. Yeah, everyone would be bromantic, and they'd have a scene where they look metrosexual. Oh, there, there's plenty of uh, stuff about uh, gay people in this movie. Oh, boy, and, uh, yeah, there really we'll, is. We'll let, the, we'll let the listeners decide whether or not it's appropriate. Uh, it, it's not appropriate. <laughs> uh, and this is me saying that, who's never, who's never turned down a, a gay joke. So, anyway, uh, at, uh, at this Halloween party, we meet uh, Eric Botler, who's the the main guy played by Sam Huntington's disease. <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, he, he, he meets, uh, estranged friends, uh, Linus, uh, played by Christopher Marquette of, uh, an episode of criminal minds and 
presumably nothing else. Um, Windows, played by Canada's Jay Baruchel. Mm-hmm. And you uh, might rec- Hutch, the... Uh, uh, who, who might everyone recognize Jay Baruchel from? Uh, the, the short-lived uh, college comedy Undeclared, perhaps? They might remember him from that. I, I remember him from Man Seeking Woman, mm-hmm. but uh, most recently he was uh, very good in, in Blackberry. He's not very good in this, but... Uh, <laughs> no, but he is... I don't think... I, but I mean, I don't think anyone could be good in this. This is a this is a top-to-bottom failure. It's, it's, of, a, it's of, an astonishing... Of, of directing, of, of, yeah. of screenwriting. We mentioned Ernest Cline, but this is also written by... Uh, by Adam F. Goldberg of uh, the Goldbergs show that I've never seen, but I know from <laughs> cultural osmosis, it's just a series of 80s references stitched together. Yes, yes. So I guess you can see they're of a kind, these writers. So that's, I mean, that's, that's um, why... Anyway, they, anyway, <clears throat> anyway, so uh, these these friends are estranged from each other because Eric has decided to become an adult, whereas Linus Hutch... I forgot to mention Hutch, uh, played by Dan Fogler of Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them fame. <laughs> uh, you, you might say he's the Daniel Dottie of the group. <laughs> no, look. The, 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 the uh, disgusting slob. The disgusting, uh, homophobic, uh, just utterly... Uh, I mean, when we, were, we, we, uh, we watched this uh, over the phone with each other uh, last night and... And when Hutch broke out of the scene, Daniel was like, it me, I'm Yeah, not. I was like, cool, cool, the big fat party animal. Like, uh, of course that's me. Uh, but I should not have hitched my wagon to that star, because within two minutes, I think he was loudly making homophobic comments or, like, like pretending to hump somebody. I mean, that's kind of the... He does a lot of humping. There's a lot of humping. He does a lot of humping that's that's none of it's consensual. And, and, and you'll have shots of him, like, humping his friend's shoed feet... For like eight seconds, like it's not even like it's a like a one shot kind of gag, and they cut to something else or whatever. Like that was, that was like almost ten seconds long. That whole bit, and I just I had it anyway. Yeah, so that's Hutch, the Daniel of the group, uh, serial sexual assaulter. <laughs> and, and anyway, they they're strange because Eric has decided to become a grown up and work at his uh, father's dealership, and. Uh, and the other members of the gang are just uh, still still playing uh, Mario Kart in, in a garage and talking about uh, Star Wars uh, topics that they should have exhausted long ago. Yeah. Because, I mean, they're still talking about, like, you know, whether or not uh, Luke had a thing for Leia or, you know, how cool is Boba Fett. I mean, even though this is only 1998, they should have been long past those discussions. I mean... They're into, like, esoteric shit. It's like, you know, what's underneath those Jawa hoods or, you know, uh, which which uh, which uh, part of the Middle East is was uh, Lucas drawing from with the Tuscan Raiders? Yeah, yeah. Well, the, well I think we, we, we were kind of talking about after the movie finished. Here's, here's what happened, and I am dead convinced of this. Ernest Cline, at some point in the 90s, he saw Clerks. Uh, direct, written and directed. Oh, absolutely. Written and directed by Kevin Smith, who later appears in the movie in a cameo. Um, but Ernest Klein was so bowled over, like whatever was wrong with his brain was like ready to be really amazed by that one scene where Dante and Randall are talking about the Death Star blowing up and all the people who must have died. And that was a kind of like original and fun thing to have in your movie. 
when Clerks did it, um, and of course that became, I, I guess that, I, I don't even know if it became that influential necessarily. It's not like a lot of movies have that kind of scene, although I guess maybe they do. But the point being, Ernest saw that and thought, you could make an entire movie. Star Wars is such a rich topic. You could make an entire movie about the kinds of guys who have these conversations. <laughs> and just about those conversations. It's really fucking wild. And, you know, Kevin Smith gets made fun of a lot because it's easy. He's, I mean, he used to be a, a big fat guy who, who cries at things. Um, but you really can tell the difference between uh, Kevin Smith's written dialogue and, uh, say, Ernest Cline, Adam F. Goldberg's written dialogue. <laughs> I was going to say, this, thing, this movie made me appreciate Kevin Smith's ear for dialogue. I'm dead serious. Uh, which I never wanted to say. I don't want to say that, but I, I did find myself thinking, boy, you know, that scene actually was well-written. That, that Dante and Randall scene. Like, yeah, that's part of the reason why, it, you know, it, it's, you know, that it, it's memorable. It was really well-written. Also, it's like Dante and Randall are distinct characters, <laughs> yeah. and they have well, no, varying points of view. Yeah, they all have... No, the characters are very distinct. So, uh, what the main character is the boring one, the grown-up one. Then you got Hutch, the... The satyr. Oh, we haven't introduced uh, the the girl of the group. Oh, well, we'll uh, get to her. Christian yeah. Bell. Then you have Windows. Christian Bell, who who is, I I don't I I I can't say slumming it because that's like too generous. <laughs> I'm I'm thinking she if if she had a choice between doing fanboys and and opening up an OnlyFans, she should have chosen OnlyFans. Oh, that's for your own prurient interest. I don't I don't think. <laughs> I don't think that would be in Miss Bell's interest. Um, but it was clear. I, I think she was probably kind of hurting for work after Veronica Mars and then not quite, you know, land, knowing where to take the queer next. Uh, so, you know, you get a you get a paycheck. You know, nothing wrong with that. And I think she actually does, of all the... I mean, I guess this was before Frozen. Of all the... Yeah. Um, of all the cast, and before The Good Place... Um, of all the cast, I think... But this was, like, just a year after forgetting Sarah Marshall, so... Oh, I guess so, yeah. She couldn't have been that hurting for work. Right, she, so she had been in a, a real movie. A Judd Apatow movie, which is real movies. <laughs> this also makes you appreciate makes, Judd Apatow. It makes me appreciate the sparkling verve of a fucking late-period Judd Apatow. Oh, man, but it's... But... I, I, I am loath to use, like, internet memes as a form of humor, but this is a lot of, like... The meme of we have blank at home. Yes, absolutely. Like like Dan Fogler is like what you get when you uh, when you shop for for uh, for Jack Black, but you only have a certain (laughs) amount of money. Right. You're (laughs) you're getting the the house brand Jack Black at Winn Dixie. But yeah, so so uh, uh, Christian Bell plays Zoe. She's briefly introduced in a couple scenes in the beginning, but then she like disappears for like half the movie. Yeah, she's she's um, introduced in scenes that establish her as a real sassy broad and also uh, willing to expose her breasts. Yeah, one of the early scenes in the movie is they're all working at the comic book store because obviously, um, and. Uh, Hutch, the the irascible fellow that he is, uh, asked to see uh, Zoe's boobs, and she, she. It just reminds me of that uh, that peep show joke where where uh, Jeremy's uh, on again, off again girlfriend Nancy says, uh, 
Yeah, Super has tried to sexually assault me uh, this morning, but I told him where to get off. And then Jez goes, Super Hands. <laughs> it's like, you know, he's just the, he's just Hutch. Yeah. That's what he does. He he uh, he, he threatens women. Constantly. And, uh, <laughs> but then, you know, Zoe, she shows that she's a cool girl because mm-hmm. she, uh, she exposes herself to an oblivious windows. Um, uh, in this scene, Zoe refers to her breasts as sweater yams. Mm. Mm-hmm. Which uh, proves that no woman has ever uh, touched the script. <laughs> not, not even close. Um, and and then uh, Windows is oblivious to this because he's busy uh, sexting with a uh, with a girl online named Rogue Leader. Oh wow! Oh, I didn't Wars pick up that this was he was sexting at that moment. Well, he was talking. Or to talking her, to. Okay, I don't okay, know if yeah. he was. You know. He was doing like, but um, we have found out uh, that they have textual uh, penetration. They have had cyber sex, as he does call it. Uh, I put a pin in that; it'll pay off handsomely. Too disgusting, <laughs> disgustingly handsomely. <laughs> so there's our crew, and uh, and and the whole there the whole like uh, fault in 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 the group dynamic is that Erica's become a grown-up and the rest of them are just stuck in a state of arrest development you know working the comic store arguing star wars you know playing uh playing video games and playing playing, uh, mario kart 64 because it's 1998 and then it's and then then one day like uh windows and and hutch uh take eric aside and like hey you know the other guy who doesn't have a personality he's actually dying of cancer yeah he has like Three four months tops, and that's a problem because he, do, he, he doesn't want to he doesn't want to tell you because for some reason yeah 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 it's not really explained well. Uh, I I mean I guess it's because they've been estranged for a while. Yeah yeah, um, but this is of course uh, extra bad news for these guys because it's 1998. Star Wars Episode One has been announced. The the everyone is in high dudgeon to see. The prequels of the amazing Star Wars saga, uh, and so, but of course, that's going to be after this guy's expiration date. So the plan becomes they're gonna. And who's wait? Whose idea was the plan? Because this like all happened. It, it was it was Linus's plan. Okay, so it wasn't. It was his own plan in, to make his friends gonna, break into break, Skywalker he had, Ranch. He for has him. blueprints. It's it's really stupid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that's right. Um, but yeah, so they're going to break into Skywalker Ranch and steal a rough cut of Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace, which is so awesome, this guy has to see it before he dies. Uh, or so they're convinced. Well, I mean, in, in, in reality, these guys would be posting on any cool news, like, you know, just following all the scoops. Well, that's that, that's right. And spoilers. And, uh, also, remember, ain't it cool news? Because that'll come up again. See, we're seeding... We're seeding uh, uh, elements that pay off later. It's called good screenwriting. We're doing better foreshadowing <laughs> than the movie itself does. Um, so after like a scene of uh, of Eric like sort of battling his inner demons about like whether or not he wants to become the new uh, uh, Christopher McDonald, his his dad at the car dealership, or uh, just wallow in in a puerile uh, space fantasy mm-hmm. with his friends. He decides on the latter because, you know, 
who who cares about making a decent amount of money and having health insurance when you can uh, play Mario Kart in a garage? Am I right, folks? Exactly. That does remind me of there was uh, when I was living my dissolute bachelorhood, which I think I've spoken of. Your, your Hutchian lifestyle. My, uh, no, not not with the sexual assault. Um, but still, you know, pretty attempted sexual, pretty assault. dirtbaggy. Not even so not shut up. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, my my roommate Adam and I were were really inseparable. We were you know pals around and uh, great big old you know we were a couple of Seth Rogans there you know. Always, uh, always asking to see women's uh, sweater yams. Asking to see women's sweater yams, smoking big fat bongs. Um, but uh, Adam dated a girl for a while who was really into him. She like really like glommed onto him pretty quick. Uh, and I think it might have been because he was the first like weird guy she'd ever been with. Because <laughs> she seemed pretty straight laced, like you know, you're, you're pretty straight laced Southern Baptist type of person. But you know, not like anyway. Anyway, point being, she got frustrated with him really quick, <laughs> and so ended up writing him this. This like oh man, this is the note story. It's like four page, this, <laughs> this four page breakup note or like ultimatum note that we all, of course, this really we should not have, but we all read and howled with laughter at, um, because it it did include the line, uh, it was something like you know if you if you want something more out of life, I'm you know I can be that way forward you know, with you. Uh, or or would you rather just get high all the time and watch DVDs with your friends and laugh the night away <laughs> or something like that? <laughs> but it was, and it, 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 it's real like which way Western man moment is. with less anti-Semitism. It is. Um, that was, of course. I mean, we ended up like pinning that up on the wall. Uh, so that's how proud we were of that. I should have gotten it bronzed or something. I don't know, or put on a plaque. Huh. Anyway, kids, you do have to grow up someday, so please hate these characters. They are not fun. Or you could be an unemployed 35-year-old, you know, spending your, your off hours uh, of watching DVDs all day to talk about Star Wars on a podcast. <laughs> See, that's that's living the life right there. Anyway, they, they, uh, they, go, into, they go into Hutch's uh, van, which has a lot of van art of uh, Star Wars on it. Including an R two D two on the roof and and uh, trading cards inside the doors, and, and I'm sure and there's a there's a red button that's important. Yes, yes, there is a so yeah. It says it's for for warp speed <laughs> or whatever. Right. It it becomes a it, all of these details are of utmost importance and significance to the rest of the movie. So. Their their plan is to meet with uh, Rogue Leader, the 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 girl that uh, that Windows is sexting that everyone assumes is a man because uh, isn't it funny to to imagine that that a woman on the internet is actually a man. Yeah, yeah. It's it's two thousand nine. Grow up. <laughs> also, it's like nineteen ninety eight. So maybe don't grow up. <laughs> right. So that's the weird. See, I have the theory that all of these jokes are period accurate. By which I mean they're. Uh, that, offensive and terrible. And Ernest Klein has been walking around with them for ten years. <laughs> since he since he finally saw Clerks in nineteen ninety eight. I mean, uh, Kevin Smith did inspire a lot of like bad indie comedies that were just ripping him off. Him and Quentin. Tarantino I was going to say, really yeah, like Clerks the, and Pulp Fiction, locust points, are responsible for such a just absolute deluge of crappy knockoffs. It's very funny to think about. 
Uh, and I've been my- making my way through those, and, and it's a lot of uh, fun question mark. Oh, have you seen... I want to shout out a, a classic uh, Clerks ripoff that's actually about Star Trek. It's called Free Enterprise. Oh. It's awful. Wow. Uh, please check it out. Uh, and I want to recommend a Pulp Fiction knockoff called Blackmail, spelled like a like a black man, Blackmail, uh, starring Bokeem Woodbine. Is this gay pornography? No. Uh, it is the most god-awful Tarantino attempt you have ever seen in your life, and it's real. It's hilarious. It is amazingly stupid. While, Wouldn't while it be funny, though, if stylish. it were gay pornography? I think it'd go a little something like <laughs> A little this. something. Now, wait, we're getting ahead of ourselves. We are, and we also need um, to get back. Yeah, let's get back to our, our recapping we have here. To, we have to get to the scene where, because where, they start out in Ohio, uh, of course, and they... They're going to California to, to Skywalker Ranch, or no? They're going to Texas first to meet Rogue Leader. Anyway, they take a detour to Iowa because that's the uh, birthplace of uh, James Tiberius Kirk, and um, they they come upon a group of Trekkies. They see, uh, led by they uh, go led by Seth Rogen. Yes, they go hundreds of miles out of their way to hassle Trekkies, just having a little. Was it even a special day, or does this happen every day there? I mean, I don't know. But there was a... I, I assume that's the most exciting thing that's ever happened in Iowa. <laughs> but yes... Uh, Awful place. Seth, Do not go Seth there. Seth Rogen plays the tour guide who was telling them about this historic marker of this is the birthplace of James Tiberius Kirk, the fictional birthplace of that character. And uh, Hutch and the boys, all the boys, even the, reg- the normal ones, uh, Linus and... Well, Leaplorp. see, this is when Eric is like getting into he's getting into like, being a, a shitty adolescence, right? They start needlessly being being a toxic fan, interrupting and heckling what they're trying to do there, uh, and it eventually turns into they a, accuse Star Trek characters of being gay. They do. Um, it gets a little heated. Uh, the the Star Trek the Star Trek fam Seth Rogen calls uh, Han Solo a bitch. Um, but uh, uh, Seth Rogen wearing like ridiculous fake teeth, by the way, because they need to signify that this guy's a loser. I, honestly, at first glance, I thought it was like maybe a yellow face thing. Uh, but luckily, it, it's just goofy teeth. Uh, but still, it's an amazing prosthesis. Not all goofy teeth are, are racist against Asians, Dan. That's a really good point. You need to learn that. That's a good. I learned something important from watching this movie. So they actually get into like a fist fight and like use the van to like destroy a statue and shit. Oh, they get in a fight with the Star Trek weapons. There's like a statue of like a, one of those gladiator fights they get themselves into sometimes. And so it had all the guys like beating each other up with the Star Trek weapons. Seth Rogen goes on like a knee and yells con. It's, it's very like, it's like jokes you've seen. You've seen on Seinfeld multiple times that joke. (laughs) Right again. So it's like, well, it's period accurate to people wanting to be funny like Seinfeld in 1998. I guess so, but but uh, like uh, this this uh, results in like the van getting damaged, I guess, and uh, they they break down and uh, they they have to hitchhike to a, a biker bar. But wait a minute! Not only oh, is it a biker yeah. bar. It's a it's gay, a biker, gay bar. biker bar, and uh, they threaten the boys with uh, rape, rape unless they yeah, s- strip yeah. for money. Yeah, the the choices are being 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 raped or doing a strip show uh, set to Menudo. Because since they're gay guys, 
like any man will do. Yeah, because they're getting. I mean, they're they're thirsty as hell out there. The biker gays, which is astonishing because it's a very busy. Story short, it's a very busy let, place. Long story short, Dan Fogler strips down. It, it it becomes apparent he only has one testicle. Everyone's grossed out. Yeah, yeah. It's a. Re- I, I felt kind of um, bad for him that everyone's really disgusted with his body and he was being really open. Uh, no wonder he has to lash out with sexual assault. <laughs> No, I'm sorry. I'm not trying to re- rehabilitate Hutch. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. <clears throat> uh, they're they're saved by uh, Danny Trejo, who has never turned down a paycheck. I don't think. Yeah, and good for him. Which you know he's he's getting <clears throat> his, he's getting like twenty five thousand dollars for this probably. Sure. At least that's a new that's a new bathroom. You know. That's that's like he could buy. Like an entire uh, screening of Star Wars with that movie. Yeah, for his friends. If he wanted That's to. That's right. And I'm sure Danny Trejo has lots of friends. <laughs> exactly. <clears throat> I think that would be a good use of his $25,000. But anyway, yeah, so uh, Danny Trejo as the chief. Um, or rather, as a person talking about the chief. I forget how this all worked out. I don't know. It, it was, it, they think He was they alluding think that, to the like, chief. The chief is... The chief is some other person, but instead it's actually Danny Trejo who has a tendency to speak in the third person. Right, right, right. Uh, right, because he's having good... The only yeah. other important part of this scene is that they uh, they uh, eat some guacamole that's laced with peyote. Yes. And they have a classic, uh, hilarious comedy film, uh, uh, Drugs, Druggist those, trip. Those guys were drugged out. Those were some, those were some, some sky-high... MFers, holy moly, the fisheye lens, the slow motion, they were drugged as hell. Speaking of homosexuals who uh, allegedly uh, uh, drug people against their will, uh, one of the producers of this film is none other than Kevin Spacey. <laughs> that's so that's think right. about that. Yeah, another thing to think about. Another thing to think about. Um, I mean, the, fir- the literally the first thing you see... When you boot up this movie is the logo of the Weinstein Company. Yeah. Which we'll get to later. <laughs> uh, but in, uh, in some detail. Yeah. Um, but they wake up the next morning. But the chief gives uh, Linus some peyote. Right. And he fixed their, and he fixed their van. Yeah. Yeah. So they're ready to and go. And he doesn't even rape them. So it's like not all homosexuals are bad. That's right. We learned, again, another violence. Some of them won't rape you. Some of them won't. So, you know. So, so they get to Texas after, you know, there's, there's some, there's some vignettes where they're like arguing or they're like, uh, they're, uh, they're pissing all in a, in a row on the side of the road and yeah. they like hit an electric fence. It's all very, it's all very funny. Um, <laughs> I mean, but, that's but why we're gl- all glossing over it. Almost fails in comparison to, yeah. it, it fails in comparison to when, uh, Windows meets his dream girl. That's right. At, uh, at, uh, Jabba the Hutt. A, a coffee a, shop in Texas. Yeah, so, somehow the only at first at, at at first he thinks it's a it's a man with with long hair and it's like you gross. Yeah, homosexuality is disgusting. Instead, it turns out to be even better or worse depending on your perspective. Um, Rogue leader is none other than a ten year old girl. Ten year old girl. Uh... Windows that he is sex is, and and Windows is shocked and disgusted. He, he starts screaming. He, he says I am multiple a times, "I'm a pedophile." I, yes, 
until his friends have to drag him out of there and then and then kind of roast him for a little bit as they jog down the sidewalk. <laughs> it's uh <laughs> you were sexting a 10-year-old. Oh, that's right. All the all the guys says, like, were li- as he was going to meet this person, all the guys lined up and were humping the window outside. When he was Yes, for some reason. For some reason. Uh, and so that's, I guess Hutch, Hutchism is contagious. I guess so. They were all getting it. They were all grinding it. I guess that's what, that's their version of voyeurism. I don't know. I don't know. But they do, they, they move on from it pretty quick. <laughs> I guess kind of, but there is of course so, a callback, an immediate callback. I mean, there is a line where, where Windows says that, uh, cyber sex isn't sex. Yeah. Which... Does confirm that he had cyber sex with a ten-year-old. That's uh, well, that's true. And this is the most heroic character in the movie. This is the this is the character. I guess we're not going to spoil too much. This is the character who gets the girl. <laughs> this is yeah, yeah. Out of all of them, but um, but anyway, on to our next vignette. Uh, what did come next? Um, they get accosted by another than uh. Then, uh, speaking of sex criminals, Harry Knowles. <laughs> That's right, of Ain't It Cool News. And it turns out that that young lady Play, is Played his, by uh, Ethan Suppley. Is his niece. Uh, it's, not actually, it's not actually Harry Knowles. Because no, sadly. There was a period of time where Harry Knowles was allowed to be in films, and that period had passed. Yes. He was yeah. allowed to be in The Faculty, and I believe he showed up as a severed head in the remake of Texas Chainsaw Massacre. After that, no more. Oh, wow. <laughs> The age of Harry was was over, so he. Um, I actually have some some IMDb trivia. Let me uh, because originally it wasn't Ethan Suppley that was going to be playing Harry Knowles. Okay, it was actually uh, someone else. And um, let's see. Uh, I. Uh, well, I know for a fact that that. Uh, that someone dropped out. Then Kevin Smith was attached to uh, to play Harry Knowles, and he was he was according to IMDb trivia enthused about doing so, but he <laughs> uh, had to edit Clerks Two. Ah, damn it! So it, it said it fell. Oh yeah, George Garcia of Lost. He he played Hurley on Lost. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, he was originally supposed to play Harry Knowles. Well, that would have been but fun. He had conflict. Scheduling conflicts with, with Lost. Lost right? uh, Becoming a widely beloved uh, character instead of playing Harry Knowles. And then Kevin Smith stepped in, was reportedly very enthusiastic, but he had to he had to do some editing, so so uh, Ethan Suppley uh, filled in. I mean, he had enough time and... to film a scene that looked about the same length as that one. Because he's in the movie. That might have been, that might have been reshoots, though. Oh, we don't yeah, know. reshoots. They might have decided there's not enough gay jokes in this movie. We need to do some reshoots. <laughs> right. So, uh, Windows gets his uh, shit rocked by Harry Knowles of Ain't It Cool News. Austin legend, Harry Knowles, the second most disgusting... He, he keeps Austin weird. The, the second most disgusting, giant disgusting uh, Austin native after uh, Alex Jones. Do you think they've ever met? I'm sure of it. Oh, definitely. At like at like a gross convention. At just, at just the worst thing you could possibly imagine. Yeah. Grosso two thousand five. Oh God. Uh, yeah. Sorry, everyone. I was just applying some calamine lotion to my arms. I have a horrible, horrible poison ivy rash. 
uh, right now. See, we were we were debating on whether or not to reveal this, uh, latest, this latest Daniel injury, <laughs> the latest malady on, uh, on the next uh, the next uh, chronological episode of Throne Dome or, or leave it in the bonus. And I guess we're uh, including it on the bonus. I just had to go ahead and just get it out there. Um, I want people to know why I wasn't as engaged for Harry Knowles' talk as I probably should have been. Um, but yeah, so this will be a fun kind of little Easter egg for anyone who's... Uh, Daniel ran, ran through a thicket and uh, got, <laughs> got poison ivy. I did. Well, I was helping my, my dad, who's, who's recently had uh, a medical procedure. Uh, I, I was helping him out by clearing some weeds and kind of... Was it an adult, uh, was it an adult uh, medical procedure? Like, did, does babyism run in the family? <laughs> it, was, it was for old guy stuff, okay? It was perfectly age-appropriate. Um. But, well, at least somebody in your family has age-appropriate maladies. Yeah, not like I get. Yeah, poison ivy is a thing you get as a kid, right? I mean, it's not you know. Think of the last time you got poison ivy. I, I'm just imagining like one one night I'm going to call you up for for the next Thronder Dome recording, and I'm just going to get your wife on the phone saying Daniel can't come out and play. He has chicken pox. <laughs> <laughs> but that's neither here nor there. We gotta get back to the plot because this is this has this a lot of ins and outs. Already taking way too long. Use. Yeah. <laughs> as I said in the chat, this is gonna take as long as it takes. This is the definitive document about a, a, a movie that has haunted you. You're right. We need to do it. We need to do it justice. You can sync this up with the actual movie like Dark Side of the Moon and and uh, and Wizard of Oz. Uh, so. So Harry, uh, Harry Knowles, uh, like the classic uh, mythological troll, has riddles three that he asked the uh, the gang to answer, and uh, you pointed out that one of them was like a a, a bullshit question because he asked like, "What's the home planet for the Wookies?" and yeah, and you pointed out that uh, Kashyyyk is like outside of the trilogy. Uh, yeah, they they named him outside of that. Yeah, it's really like, and that's and the guy brings that up in the because he he asked like the the normal guy, um, I keep forgetting his name. What is this, Eric? Um, Eric. He asks Eric. Eric Sam Huntington's disease. Sam Huntington's disease. Eric, normal guy. He asks him, you know, what's the name of of, of uh, Chewie's home planet, the Wookiee home planet, and uh, and he point he right he points out like this isn't that wasn't in the the movies. It wasn't in the movies. That's not fair, and he's right. Um. Yeah, I I will say I think that this movie is accurate in that Harry Knowles is really not as upset about uh, a guy sexing his ten year old niece as he should be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah he like kind of roughs him up a bit, but she's still like, it, it, it's still water under the bridge if they if they uh, recite some Star Wars trivia to him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which I think is accurate to real life. And, that's, and that is so probably they, they true. Proved that they they prove that they're they're true fanboys. So he sets sets them on a fetch quest to Las Vegas, you know, Sin City. Yes, as uh, they keep uh, referring to it. But uh, on their way there, um, they they are accosted by the police, and uh, that's where the peyote comes comes into play because they don't want to be. They don't want to be four white guys caught with some drugs. No, I mean in Nevada. Yeah, I mean that's like comparable to like a, a black person driving over or under the speed limit and doing <laughs> nothing else. Right. Uh, but that does. So this is where this is where warp speed uh, is relevant. Yes. So it's a nitro boost that. Uh... 
Hutch has has rigged up to his van, and they have a close, kind of a close call, a couple times about ooh whether it's gonna actually fire off or whatever, uh, and then actually does fire off when he also turns on the R two D two on top of the van, or is whatever he do also? Which I thought was just for decoration. <laughs> Apparently, it is essential to the functioning of the police escape nitro boost. <laughs> Uh, so they do uh, hyperspeed and uh, have a comedically fast zoom down the highway until they crash into a billboard in the shape of the silhouette of Darth Vader's helmet. Yeah, they still end up in jail. Yeah, and they end up in jail. Yeah. Where they're bailed out by the cool girl. There's also some uh, some, some lines that... Sort of, I mean, he just sort of... Like, if not otherwise... It, uh, noted as exculpatory. Imagine there's some homophobic dialogue in here, because there is. I forget what it is exactly. <laughs> there definitely is. I might have yeah. to watch this a few more times. You're gonna, yeah, you've only seen it four or five times. You have to see it another fifteen times to catch all the homophobia. Yeah, <laughs> to catalog it thoroughly. Because this is just this movie. We haven't so, really mentioned it a lot, just because like it's hard to pick out specific instances. Because it's all over the place. Like people are being like called the F slur constantly. Uh, it's really. I think my favorite, my favorite uh, moment of casual homophobia because I think it like sums up the movie as a whole. Um, later in the movie, when they're all just like chilling in the hotel room watching something, like apropos of nothing, Zoe just says, "This is so gay." <laughs> yep. And it's like, yep, sure. I, I mean, it is. This is pretty <laughs> fucking gay. Uh, yeah. Uh, but yeah, but Zoe's here. So, so Zoe bails him out and, and they meet with the judge because they're, they're already going to trial, I guess, or something. And, uh, in blatant fa- theft of, uh, a Clerks the Animated Series and Arrested Development joke, the judge is named Judge Reinhold. Uh-huh. Uh, played by Billy D. Played Williams. Played by Billy D. Williams. Uh, so really not... Lando Calrissian. Not much in, of a perhaps joke at all. <laughs> one of the least embarrassing cameos, I would argue. Yeah, he acquits himself well. I mean, he, he gives an actual performance because the man's a professional. And uh, they... They, uh, they, uh, they get a message from, uh, from Eric's dad, who I guess... I guess, like, says, like, uh, come home or you're fired or whatever. And so Eric is, again, faced with the choice between a comfortable middle-class existence and just being a freak on the fringes of society who eventually uh, does four-hour YouTube videos about how The Last Jedi was woke. <laughs> right. Is he... Which I assume is what he's doing in the far-flung future of, like, 2019. Absolutely. Without a doubt. Every one of these guys is, is one of those guys, for sure. But yeah, so Zoe... Who... Uh, the director is one of those guys, actually. Uh, fun fact, Kyle Newman, the director, uh, not only uh, had a restraining order against him uh, from his from his then-wife, uh, he also posited that uh, critics were being paid off to give positive reviews to The Last Jedi. <laughs> Uh, it's up to you to figure out which is worse. <laughs> I would love, love to hear this man's thoughts on the Johnny Depp Amber Heard trial. Uh, He'd probably be like, you know, Johnny Depp's just like me. Me and Johnny. Me and Johnny. Yeah. Two two peas in a pod. Um, but no, Zoe does come to... Hey, as the-, the thing is, Johnny Depp's star has fallen so low at this point, he could probably... Kyle Newman could probably get him to be in a movie. Oh, I'm sure of it. I'm sure of it. 
and I would not want to see Johnny it. Depp for Fanboys 2. Fanboys 2. Well, no, we're going to make Fanboys 2. Um, as late as 2021, they've expressed interest in doing a sequel. No. No. Yes. You, you, they had an online reunion no. panel January 17th, 2021. Oh. As part of Dan Fogler's Fogler's Fiction Fest. Oh. Director Kyle Newman, Jay Baruchel, Dan Fogler, Adam Goldberg, Chris Marquette, and Sam Huntington were the ones to present for the panel. Noticeably absent, Veronica Mars. I was going to say, you know, uh, <laughs> do you think <laughs> you think Kristen Bell's going to come back for this? And on top of her giant pile of money and her adoring Instagram followers? I think she has so much frozen money that she never has to work again in a day in her life. Absolutely. Absolutely. Which, good on her. Yeah, she got that she bag. Deserves to, she deserves it in, in recompense she, for being made to perform as the, the cool girl who's so cool that she will fly out across the country with money to bail these four idiots out. Uh, you won't believe what she does by the end of the movie. <laughs> I mean, you might if you see the, the Blu-ray uh, 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 cover, but uh, we'll leave that to be a surprise and, at the end. And soon after she's bailed everyone out, one of the one of them starts to, I guess it must be Hutch or somebody, starts talking about like, okay, well, Zoe, you'll fly back home, then we'll get a rental, whatever, and we'll keep going to... Uh, and... And then she's like, no, if I'm in the plot finally, I'm going to stay in the plot. It's a very funny because, like, one, yes, that's a terrible thing to say. But also, two, like, you want to go with these guys? <laughs> you want to do that? Uh, but she does say, like, no, I made, hey, I got all the way out here. I broke your guys out of jail or whatever. I'm coming, too. Uh, and apparently, one of them mentions that, no, this is boys only. And I was just flabbergasted. I mean, because for one, everyone in the scene is what twenty. We'll say twenty three, to be generous, right? Like they're they're like twenty eight. I mean, they're pretty on. They're, they're definitely post college, definitely post college. Uh, and even in like if I was high school aged, right? Like around the time that this movie is set or whatever, when the when the cool girl from the comic book store wants to like hang out with you guys. You don't say no. You don't turn this person away. What in the world are they thinking? It's just... It, it, it beggars belief. Especially considering this is the second scene of interaction between Windows and uh, Zoe. And the first one was her lifting her shirt up and him not even looking because he was too busy talking to his 10-year-old girlfriend. And then this one where he's telling her, no, it's only boys, no girls allowed. Okay, bear that in mind. One of the quirks of the Zoe, one of the quirks of the Zoe character that I picked up on is that she's always calling the boys like pussies or ladies, yeah, or, or gay or, or, or yeah, or, or you know various like uh, uh, emasculating uh, sure. nicknames. Show that she's like you know she may be a girl, but she's like the boy of girls. <laughs> she may be a girl, but she still hates women, so she's cool. <laughs> exactly. That's why she's cool. That's why she's cool. She hates women as much as they do. <laughs> that makes her a cool woman. Uh, all right. Well, where where are we now in the in the the Odyssey, the Grand Odyssey we're on? So we picked up Zoe. Well, we're on the we're on the the Butler dilemma where he has to decide oh yeah he has to decide and being right. and being a freak and yeah. there there's like some talk about like you know this this is like your life is like Star Wars and everybody needs like their own Death Star 
or or whatever. And like this is your Death Star, so you know, uh So let's do this this stupid convoluted plot that'll probably get us all thrown in prison. Uh for the sake of They they very rarely mention that uh that Chris Marquette's character is dying of cancer. Yeah, yeah. Um it's almost as though the character uh, is acted as though he doesn't have cancer whatsoever. Um, not, not for me to impugn the, the acting skills of Christopher Marquette. <laughs> um, but there may be a reason for that because the big dilemma of this had a, this had a story behind the scenes, yeah, uh, yeah. production, uh, difficulties because, uh, Harvey Weinstein, before he was known as, you know, patient zero of me too, uh, was known as Harvey Scissorhands because he would often like edit movies that he uh, would distribute, and um, one of the things that he edited out of this movie was he wanted the cancer subplot stricken from the film. So, I guess the motivation would be just their jackasses who wanted to see the movie early. I guess yeah, like the only, <laughs> only motivation is just that they really wanna. Yeah. Yeah. Um. For reasons, you know, and but there was there was outcry, and uh, and uh, and the director was like, "This is bullshit," and there was like a, a fan campaign to boycott a superhero movie, <laughs> which was also distributed by the Weinstein Company. I think one of the ten movies uh, I've seen. Yes, <laughs> a classic film. It's in my top ten. Yeah. Oh, now I'm, I'm like there were there were reshoots that were uh, by a different director and and uh, Stephen Stephen Brill he he retaliated to this uh, fan campaign by calling the fans losers and uh, <laughs> he called a fan dumb and threatened to hunt him down in a profanity laden email response uh, and there's a lot of back and forth but ultimately the rough cut of the full film with the cancers storyline intact was shown for the public the public loved it and after like years of of uh, production difficulties uh it, it was released uh with cancer uh intact to resounding box office failure <laughs> yes just made under a million dollars at the box well, office. well and also you gotta like it was buried with a first week in february release i mean that's everyone knows that's movie graveyard season uh, Still, it made under a million dollars. That's particularly bad. That's very funny too. <laughs> Especially considering that, like, I mean, so this ultimately released in two thousand nine. Like the 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 primary shooting was in two thousand eight, right? Seven. Two thousand seven. Jeez. Yeah, 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 yeah. But even so, like, you had like. Uh, you know, real how not maybe not household names, but definitely by two thousand nine, like heavy hitter com- comic presences, right? Um, like not just like the yeah, a surprising number of people from the from the uh, inferior office. Well, yeah, because you had um, uh, Craig Robinson, Craig Robinson, uh, who played uh, Daryl, and uh, yeah, who played uh, Roy. Uh, you know, uh, on on the office, which was like would have been they would have been a couple seasons in by the time the shooting started. But I guess they didn't know if it was really going to go anywhere. Um, Will Forte and Joe Latrulio, who uh, you might remember from Saturday Night Live, and of course Joe Latrulio from uh, 
Brooklyn Nine-Nine. He also played a cop in this movie. Hmm. Let's think about that. Northeast Italian guy. I think there, I think that was like when the barrage of homophobia happened. That was a that big scene. one. That was a big one. Yeah. But it was... He, he was a giver and a taker in terms of homophobia. Yes. Yes. Um, Danny McBride shows up for like 40 seconds. Danny, Danny McBride is integral to the... Is. Danny McBride is integral to the emotional climax of this movie. Like the rising, yeah. the, the 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 culmination of the rising action, which I guess we'll get to. Let's continue with the synopsis. Okay, uh, let's see. Uh, they 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 end up in Las Vegas, and uh, and 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 Hutch and Windows. They start talking. Oh, we we need to talk about we need to talk about uh, one of the pivotal scenes in the movie, which is uh, they they drive. They drive next to some babes in a in a convertible. Yep, in a classic convertible. And uh, and, uh, and and Windows hurriedly takes out a sign that says like "Take your top off if you love Wookies." Yes. And uh, and one of the women almost assents before she does the classic like makes it look like she's taking her shirt off, but she's actually just doing the double finger. Double fingers. Move. Yep. That's what... But but this this is important because the in Las Vegas they come across another pair of babes <laughs> yes. that are like just working a slot machine. So it's like let's pick up these babes because because uh, I think Windows says he's only had sex with one woman before. Yeah, and Hutch is obviously down for anything. He is a real pansexual he's, monster. He's... Yep, he's the Daniel. Gotta love <laughs> he's him. He's the Daniel of the of the movie. <laughs> Meanwhile, Butler and, and Linus go to meet Harry Knowles' contact. Um, it turns out that contact is a definitely slumming it and and uh, very puffy looking William Shatner. Um, one of the few moments that I enjoyed was he get, gives them a copy of their book, which is the copy of his book, which is about T.J. Hooker. And it kind of made me wish I was watching T.J. Hooker episodes instead of uh, this. Yeah, 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 yeah. But I often feel like that. <laughs> like, I'll be talking to Daniel, and I'll just be thinking, boy, I wish I was watching T.J. Hooker I right wish now. I was watching William Shatner as T.J. Hooker. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, Hutch and, and Windows are, are in their uh, their hotel room, and they're trying to, trying to sex these ladies up. Uh, but Windows is only talking about... Uh, you know Zoe, because because uh, Zoe as as is like angry at Windows because uh, Windows offhandedly said like you know you're not a girl, which women often take well. Yes, I, yes. In my experience, and he goes on is like, well, she's able to quote Clash the Titans and and so on. She's not a girl. She, and then the escort. This is like forty seconds before she reveals she's an escort. Is like, well, she's obviously in love with you. It's like, ah, so you know, wisdom from the oldest profession in the book. Yeah, yeah. Meanwhile, Touch is like trying to dry hump or whatever. He's he's know, going to town, really and uh, they they get interrupted, and then he 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 turns on them immediately and calls them whores. Yeah, and it's like. No, we're escorts. It's like, well, what's the difference? And even they don't know because they're stupid women. Ah, get it? They're stupid women and they're whores. Like, just a really yeah. 
bizarre tonal shift. Uh, I, yeah, and, and it's that 2000s thing, though. Like, it's really... It's hard to grasp until you see it kind of happen at you. <laughs> Just how, like... There were still, like, people for whom it was open season in those days, you know? And that included sex workers and the mentally As opposed uh, to now, where things are just great for women and, and gay people. Well, uh, no, it's it's not it's not great, but there's less of a kind of mainstream acceptance of just like, well, they're an acceptable punchline for whatever you want to do, so go for it. Um, I'm surprised we didn't get any trans panic jokes in this movie, honestly. Butler and Linus uh, come across the uh, the Trekkies again because they've somehow they have a convention in Las Vegas. And let me just say about the Trekkies, uh, it is very evident that they did not get the license from Paramount or CBS to oh yeah like, yeah get yeah anything that looks even vaguely like Star Trek. So everything looks off brand and shitty. Yeah. Yeah, and it's it's very like we're all supposed to know exactly like you know wink wink what they're talking about, uh, which it makes is interesting. Like they could use terms like James T. Kirk, but they couldn't actually do any Star Trek stuff. I don't know. I don't get it. Well, they couldn't use anything that's like the likeness. They couldn't use the likeness of like James T. Kirk, which is why the statues look like they're malformed. Oh, I guess um, yeah. And they couldn't use like the <laughs> the, the Starfleet uniforms. But they could do, like, the yeah, colors, yeah, yeah. and they could do the stupid haircuts. Right, and have something similar, yeah. I think yeah. I think this is a, it's a good juncture to, juncture to mention a point you made uh, while we were watching this about the needless uh, Star Wars versus Star Trek antagonism oh, yeah. in this film. Oh, yeah, there's no, there's... Because I, I, our, our fanboys are no fans of Star Trek. They are deliberate... See, here's, here's a little... Uh, they're, 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 like... They're anti-fans, right? They're not just fans of Star Wars. They are antagonists of Star Trek. And the thing is, I've been doing... I've been doing this being a nerd thing for a long fucking time, all right? I'm an old man. I got plugged into it early. And I, I know how it goes. I know what 45 it's like, years uh, old. For, <laughs> I haven't even turned 40 yet. Shut up. I have poison ivy. You have to be nice to me. <laughs> what does your body say? My my body says that I'm somehow simultaneously six months old and eighty years old, so that's been very fun. And that's what middle age is. You're, you're uh, Benjamin Button, dude. <laughs> you're Benjamin Buttoning in I'm front ben, of I'm me. Benjamin Buttoning. Um, but no, but like I can't think of a single person I've ever known who was into Star Trek who didn't also at least kind of like Star Wars, or who like was into Star Wars and also watched Star Trek. Like, it's just part of the package of, like, you know, mid-century to, to back end of the 20th century science fiction media properties. It's just a, there's no, in no capacity have I ever known that kind of antagonism between. So it's just, like, feels like it's made up for this movie, and so it feels extremely fake. <laughs> yeah, especially because Ready Player One fans will know that Ernest Cline likes Star Trek just fine. That's true. He absolutely does. That's right. He is. He is. He has not shied away from a Bones reference. That one. So yeah, I don't know. So I don't it's know. Just... Maybe they just wanted to antagonize uh, Star Trek because they could do some some jokes about uh, uh, John Luke Picard being a fruit. Who knows? 
<laughs> Maybe so. Um, it's too bad they didn't wait to shoot for another couple of years so they could make jokes at Chris Pine's uh, Captain Kirk expense. You know, that was the one who did there, that. Right? There was Pine. something funny where uh, where Seth Rogen says that there are no gay characters in Star Trek, and it's like, oh uh, yeah, yeah, until yeah. like now where there's like five, <laughs> you'd probably be upset about them. You're probably posting all, about it all right of now. these people no, this is, in this of course... movie grew up to be the worst, most toxic oh, people imaginable. Easily, every single one of them was hot on Gamergate. Um, so uh, we should we should mention that this showdown uh, with all the Star Trek people uh, in the Las Vegas casino uh, also coincides with Seth Rogen playing a a big tough guy who's beating them up until he's a big tough guy who's oh he's the pimp. Of the ladies. He's, he's playing the pimp. Uh, that's right. He's playing the pimp of the ladies, and he has a sleeve and of Star Wars tattoos. And there's a joke Star where he's also a Star Wars fan, and he has a back tattoo of Jar Jar Binks. That's right. Yeah, he shows off all of his... Uh, yeah, and he's like, this is going to be the greatest character in history. Um, yeah, and then one of the... The Seth Rogen as the Star Trek leader guy says Han Solo was a bitch, and that enrages Seth Rogen as the Star Wars pimp who then attacks all the Star Wars people in, like, a big clump. Like, a, it, it's... I think, as, as you noticed, the, the cut is really bad well, on that Well, shot. no, Seth Rogen attacks <laughs> Seth Rogen, and... Yeah. that The cut is awful, because it's clear they didn't even get a body double for the other Seth Rogen. So it's just, like, him attacking the other people who are Star Trekkers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's uh, it's very stupid. But our good, the, um, the, the important part is our our guys get away from the pimp. And this is where we start like heading into the third act of the movie. So we we reach we finally reach uh, California, uh, San Francisco, because uh, I guess the Polish uh, founded uh, San Francisco. Um, <laughs> We we get a good uh, we good get a good not at all dated uh, reference to Reservoir Dogs because the characters are all walking in formation in slow motion uh, to the Rush song Tom Sawyer. Now I don't think we've mentioned before, but uh, this this uh, this soundtrack is rotten with Rush. It absolutely stinks of Rush because this is apparently the only band Hutch listens to. And they're and they're all writing in his van. The only band Ernest Klein listens to. <laughs> the only, yeah, apparently. Um, but I would like to say, do not paint with a broad brush. Not all Rush enjoyers are like Ernest Klein or the 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 mad sex fiend Hutch. Uh, some Rush enjoyers are actually upstanding members of their respective communities, and uh, so let's not be too hasty in in judging them. Yeah, some of them are bald fathers named Daniel who have daughters <laughs> named Moira. Some of them are. Some of them are. But yeah, and and then uh, I think uh, Hutch pushes windows or cancer guy or one of them. I don't. It was dark, so I can't really tell. Or I think care. I think it is Linus. I think it's cancer guy. Uh, he, he just out of nowhere pushes him during the slow mo walk in formation, which is the kind of thing you because do. I get. I mean, I guess that's just their version of a joke. Yeah, it's like how they would joke around. But it's like how you joke around with your friends when you're 14, maybe. And you definitely don't joke around with your terminally ill friends by bodily throwing them to the ground. Anyway, uh, Linus apparently is fine. They all make it to the uh, perimeter wall where uh, 
Windows gets to use his grappling hook, which he is very excited about. But of course, that means climbing. So we get like, it's like a 25, 20, 25 second shot of just Jay Baruchel pretending to struggle over a wall. Oh, here's a question. Uh, Windows, is he on the spectrum or not? I think this is a good question. And I think part of the mystery and why it's hard to tell is because... um, So this movie was shot in 2007. uh, And that's kind of before the, the kind of the big raising of awareness about people on the spectrum and just kind of just in general people it was before the good doctor for one thing it was before the good doctor um but, but i think this, this is still a time when the uh, the archetypal nerd i i feel like in the definitely in the 80s and 90s and into the 2000s i would argue the nerd archetype actually folds into it a lot of spectrum sort of archetypes and stereotypes uh, so that <laughs> before we were able to kind of separate those things out, there was a kind of, in the popular conception, like nerds just all included kind of spectrum elements to them. So I, I don't know, I don't even think anyone would have been thinking to write him as on the spectrum. They just thought, well, let's make the nerdiest one of these guys. And that just so happens to come across as someone who has, you know, is, is in, so, in some way affected by the autism spectrum. He's the Sheldoniest of them. Precisely, precisely. Uh, but he does make it over the wall, and he lets them all in, and they and they make it into Skywalker Ranch. Uh, and 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 boy, are they bowled over, huh, Ronnie? What do they find? Well, I, I just want to point out that there there's like uh, 30, 40 seconds of shots of them just running, and the joke <laughs> is uh, Veronica Mars goes. Uh, this is the most exercise you guys have gotten all year because, of course, she keeps she keeps fit because she keeps she's fit. Veronica Mars because she's she's a cool girl and you know yeah but yeah and that that, that is also oh yeah we also get a uh, soon after the wall as they're as they're running across the the grounds we get a a pointless ninja roll from Hutch classic joke but she naturally fucks up cause and he fucks it up because he's a he's a failure because he's a big fat party animal you know time to time to make fun of this guy's sort of physicality. Uh, yeah, yeah. So a lot of denigrating of their physical attributes in these couple of shots, but they do make it inside to find. Well, I um, mean, I mean, if Dan Fogler had any dignity, he wouldn't have uh, accepted the role of Hutch in the first place. So it's kind of on him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's really. Uh, I, I think so. What's well, on him and Harvey Weinstein, which I guess we'll get to. You have some interesting insight into like what. Who who wrote what and who contributed what? But we'll kind of wait to get to that when when we're wrapping up our thoughts. I think. Yeah, it turns out the actual villain is Darth Weinstein, <laughs> With, uh, ably uh, assisted by uh, the salacious crumb that is uh, uh, Adam Goldberg. Yes. Uh, <laughs> so, so they're bowled over by what I put in my notes is just a bunch of junk, um, aka. Yeah, so- Star Wars memorabilia. Yeah, it's supposed to be Lucas's memorabilia room, so they're like in awe at this, and it's a really crappy like. It's maybe the size of like a sizable walk-in closet, and also it just the has... thing is like, also the thing is like every room in Skywalker Ranch is a memorabilia room. 
Yeah, 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 yeah. What's really funny is it has this. It's very poorly laid out where they're just like chest high shelves with ran- with just objects sitting on them. Like like uh, Linus goes and says, "Oh my god, the thermal detonator," you know, or, or um, there's also some it's Indiana like Jones. A, it's like stuff. a fucking gift shop. Yeah, exactly. It looks like a really bad gift shop on the way out of Skywalker Ranch. And it's funny because these are supposed to be like movie props, I guess, but like they couldn't even spring for things that look like movie props. This absolutely looks like someone got the Darth Vader costume at Spencer's Gifts or whatever that they have in the in the window and they actually bought it. Uh, it's all really bad. Um, now I read on IMDb trivia that Lucas liked this movie enough that he like cleared them, give them, give them license to use the the typical Star Wars sound effects. But I'm thinking that Lucas was like, they asked him, uh, could we use like a legitimate Star Wars merchandise and memorabilia? He's like, ah, not so fast. <laughs> I mean, you kids are fine. Uh, but Chinese I don't think bootleg so. at best. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, um, but there, there is a. He has just bats. There is a, a, a bit of a bit of a poking fun at George. At uh, one point, where uh, Windows is excitedly pointing to, oh my gosh, they have Willow's spellbook. Anybody, Willow, little guy, and everyone ignores it. So uh, slam yeah, on George well, Lucas. Jo- joke, jokes on them because Willow would later get a streaming series that got removed from streaming as a part of a tax write-off. That's right, and Willow would also get the the heir to the Empire treatment by having a sequel trilogy of novels published in the 1990s. So, you know, who's, who's uh, you know, a, a loser franchise now? <laughs> well, I guess the answer is Willow. Uh, the answer is Willow, yes. Um, but uh, in the midst of all this, we, they we, are... get, we get another uh, We get another George Lucas universe reference with the yeah. uh, security guards. That's right, yeah. So they get clocked by the security guards and three, three heavies bust in who are all dressed in the costumes of the security forces from THX 1138. Uh, of course, George Lucas's future dystopian uh, film from the early 1970s, uh, and the, the the some some there's some chatter among the guards about this. They take off the silver face masks so that they can you know speak more easily and breathe more easily. And they're like, "Yeah, George makes us wear this." Again, very odd. I don't think George Lucas would make them wear. It. I think I believe Ernest Klein would make his security forces wear this. But I do not think I think, George Lucas, I think George Lucas is over THX 1138. <laughs> he has moved well on. Um, but we do get some familiar faces. We have uh, Will Forte and uh, Craig Robinson. Uh, TV's... Uh, uh, God, I can't remember. Oh. The Office? Daryl. TV's Daryl. There it is. Yes, the U.S. Office. Also, um, you're conflating two scenes because in this scene, the... Uh, the security guard of note is Ray Park, and then in the second scene when they're in George's office, that's when you get Will Forte and oh, Craig Robinson. Oh, that's see, that's right. the that's the kind of that's the kind of things you pick up on when you've seen the movie like four <laughs> times. <laughs> when when yeah, so when when I'm re- when I'm remembering it and I can't pull apart that there's two scenes back to back where they're confronted by security guards in goofy costumes in an office filled with Star Wars memorabilia because that's George Lucas's office too. You're right, you're right. They managed to. Get away from the uh, the first security team and find Lucas's office where he has the rough cut loaded up on a computer, and they start watching. Which, it. Is, they get just, the... which is just like an icon in the middle of the desktop that says <laughs> "rough cut." <laughs> Look, the guy's focused on this project, man. This is the center of his life. Of course, that's going to be how it is. 
Um, so they, they start before up, they end up in the. But you're you're skipping over an important scene where they oh, yeah. end up in the trash compactor. Oh, that's right. And they think they're going to be crushed by, by the trash compactor, by which I mean uh, George Lucas's trash room. But, yes. But Veronica Mars correctly points out that the sound is just the air duct. And she does this and by... She calls, she calls oh. them girls and pussies. Yes. <laughs> I was going to say, we can't forget that as they're freaking out, thinking they're about to be crushed to death, Ver- Veronica Mars to say, uh, girls, and then points at a, a door that says exit. And I can't help but because think Because that's of, the worst thing you can be as a girl. Well, right. Like, this is some deeply internalized misogyny she's working with here, and I, I for one, am a little uncomfortable with it, but... Uh, but you're right. So they make it out of the trash compactor. That's how they then find their way to George's office. They get it. They get it started up uh, enough to see the opening crawl, and that's when the next bunch of heavies uh, busts in. You're right. It was Ray Parker. I, first I time. do like that. I do like that they realize that this is George's office because they see a framed photograph on the desk that's of George Lucas and Chewbacca. <laughs> And I'm thinking, that's just such a pathetic thing for George Lucas to have in his office. <laughs> he, I mean, this he is has, when I met Chewbacca. Right. Like, he, he has a family, right? I mean, he, he has Yes, he has, he, has, he has a <laughs> wife and, and children. Right. I, that is funny to, like, pass them up in favor of, uh, oh, look, I met the guy I made up. <laughs> that's pretty good. Um... But th- yeah, so I met Chewbacca today. <laughs> this is the scene with Will Forte and Craig Robinson as heavies, and th- they're trying to bring him in. Uh, and uh, uh, Kristen Bell retrieves the Millennium Falcon model, and uh, oh no, someone like I, I think a uh, regular guy hoists Cancer up Boy. The, Cancer Boy hoists up the Millennium Falcon model that was also in the office. Presumably, it's the original movie prop. I guess like he's going to smash it. And Kristen Bell has the head of an Ewok that she's threatening to burn. Uh, which, speaking as a fan of movies right now, go for it. Ewoks suck. Now, imagine yeah, me typing. Great. Imagine me typing that on the uh, Ain't It Cool News forums. Um, you were definitely a member of the Ain't It Cool News forums. I was definitely not. <laughs> Do not put that on me. <laughs> no, we're gonna find Daniel's old, old post and cancel him. Yeah. Well, yeah. That's that, that's the reason I, uh, I I I got away from movies. I started not liking them was because I, I didn't like what I became when I watched movies and posted on Ain't It Cool News. Yeah, your your handle was like uh, Hair Guy Twelve. <laughs> and boy, the, did the universe punish me for that hubris. Hair yes. guy, Hair Guy Twelve. <laughs> all right, all right. Um, so what what happens next? I, I kind of it all runs um, together. Well, Clearly, it all well, runs windows, together. Windows and Windows and Zoe just like sort of fall on each other. Yeah, they try um, to hide from the, the heavies, right? And they fall on top of each other yeah. and then kiss, which is the first even hint that they were supposed to have any kind of connection or spark. Now you're not giving the movie enough credit. There was there was definitely like some moments where uh, Zoe got pissed off that that. Uh, that Windows didn't see her as a girl, and he was talking about Zoe to the prostitute, and this is all very well laid out. This is <laughs> this is some great enforced heterosexuality. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. 
<laughs> this is a love affair for the ages, dude. This is who could forget Windows and uh, Zoe, are, are the, the 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 it couple of two thousand nine. I was gonna say seven, then I remembered how many times this got pushed back. It should have been pushed back to never. <laughs> it should have. Well, how can you say that when we're about to have the most the pivotal scene? Like, the, the emotional climax of the film. What determines whether or not our cancer-stricken friend actually gets to see the movie. Because they are taken, they're apprehended, and then in an interrogation room where uh, a stormtrooper by the name of Danny McBride comes in to see Who's sporting almost no facial hair, which disturbed me. Yeah, it is, it is kind of odd to see. Um, but he does a little bit of his, you know, uh, doing, honestly, I, I thought his performance was okay. I mean, he was, you know, he was working with what he had. It's just odd to see such a performer wasted in that kind of role, but he's the main security guy and he gets a phone call. Dude, from there Jordan. are so many performers wasted on this fucking piece of shit. <laughs> it really is. Like, say I mean, what you will about Seth Rogen, but Seth Rogen's been funny and stuff before. Well, it's true. I was going to say like Craig Robinson. He's a really talented, funny guy. Uh, Will Forte. Uh, Will Forte. Yeah. Hell, William Shatner. Fuck Why I, not? He was T.J. Hooker. I'll say Jay Baruchel. He deserves better. Yeah, he was great. Blackberry. He, I thought he was. He was very good in the uh, How to Train Your Dragon animated series on Netflix. Just kidding. Uh, you know, it was fine. Um, no, you you definitely watched that. I know I watched it because my kid wanted to watch it, <laughs> so I so I watched it. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm really uh, I'm whipped by my child. Um, yeah, you are you're whipped by your child. I am whipped by my child. But no, but here we go. This is the setup for like the big determining thing, right? Like the the will they actually be? Will they get away with it? Will they ever be able to see the movie before their friend dies? Uh, Danny McBride, security guard, gets a call on the phone. It's from George Lucas. He says, "Oh, hello, Mr. Lucas." And of course, everyone at the all the nerds at the table erupt like yelling with their ideas at a, for a movie at him. Which, you know, I guess that's true to life. Um, Zoe has this fu- semi-funny line where she uh, says that she can hear his beard. <laughs> right. And then, uh, so apparently George has been monitoring this situation, you know, from, from wherever he is right now. Uh, you know, he, but he's tapping George is so powerful, he has dossiers on all of them. Yeah, he's somehow the they have... They know that, they know that <laughs> Hutch has one testicle. Right, right. I gotta wonder what kind of Stasi George Lucas is operating to have this level of detail in their in their dossiers on on random Ohio Star Wars fans. Um, but uh, but apparently George is is striking a deal. He's not going to press charges, and Linus can see the movie. If but first, but, but first, first. They, and the way and the way first, that he puts uh, it, the way that he puts it, this is the titular. It was the titular line of the movie. Because he says, George says Linus can see it if he is what he appears to be. Or, or you are what you appear to be. And they say, well, what do we appear to be? And uh, Danny McBride says, fanboys. That's right. The determining action is going to be another Star Wars trivia quiz. The, what, third of the movie? It's definitely the second, at, at least. At least the second. They did that with the Harry Knowles. Because <laughs> they did it with the Harry Knowles, right? That's how these guys get out of trouble, is doing Star Wars trivia. Um, and then so, I don't know how well you remember the Ready Player One novels, but this is basically like how 
the fucking main dude like solves all of his problems is by answering trivia questions. Right, and and there, the, at least it sort of makes sense in that setup because the idea is you are inhabiting the mind palace of a nostalgia, a nostalgia damaged fifty year old, you know, sometime in the near future who can't get over the eighties eighties pop culture. Right, so like it actually does have something to do with the setting. That you're giving Ernest Klein way too much credit. Well, well, I'm. I just mean. I think he realized that like that's the kind of thing he can write. So he wrote a novel around that. (laughs) But no, we get. uh, He realizes that he can stitch together references from the 1980s to form a coherent enough plot. (laughs) But um. The uh, I don't even what 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 was like the winning question? I don't even remember what it was. Well, they they do like questions like, oh, what was the planet that Leia said uh, that she got the plans from to dissuade the Empire or whatever? And then they do a bunch of sex questions because ha ha ha, these guys are virgins, and it's like uh, you know where do your testicles end up when you do a Mississippi handbag? This is clearly like where Danny McBride is just improving. Right, 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 right. They they let him kind of cut loose for a few shots. Uh, yeah. And uh, Zoe's the only one who can answer the sex question because she's a girl and and she has she has had the sex. Uh, I like that this is apparently weeding out whether they're actual fanboys so that George only wants virgins to see his movie. Yeah. <laughs> but. It, but it does end up being like a Star Wars trivia thing that's the final deciding thing, right? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if there's a specific question, but yeah. They they aced the, the quiz. They did. And Linus they did. Can, can watch. And so, did uh, you know the, the song that, that plays as he's, he's uh, watching the Star Wars? Oh, God. No, I forgot. What, what is it? What was that needle drop? It's actually a, a band you know all too well. Remy that, Zero. Remy Zero. <laughs> I think you'll have to tell your Remy Zero story on the pod. That's right. I, I will have to. So, um, back in my, my barfly days, there was a particular watering hole me and my roommate Adam would go to a bunch, which also happened to be uh, frequented by the front man of Remy Zero, Senjin. What's his name? I don't remember his last name. We just call him Senjin. Um, and he liked to pal around with us. Like we would sidle up at the bar and like, we talk and everything. We had enough grace not to bring up the whole Smallville Remy zero thing, you know, he, he or, uh, if somebody saved me thing, he, he was wanting to get away from that. Um, so yeah, I have, I have personally palled around with the guy who sings save me on Smallville. And the guy who sings the song fair in fanboys. That's right. Fanboys, his own Senjin. What's his name? <laughs> But yeah, but so it's, again, it, it goes. So we to, get like how how dare this this movie attempt to pull any sort of heartstrings after yeah eighty minutes of just inane nonsense. Well, that's what they try and to, homophobia. They, they they try to make this like an actual emotional scene because like all the you know Zoe and all the guys other than Linus have to like wait back in the van and they're crying and hugging each other. Because they're going to miss their friends so much. And Linus is like shots of him like overwhelmed and in awe of what he's seeing. And it's all played like totally like we, we should be feeling as an audience. We should be feeling the catharsis right now. And Why should you give a fuck about Cancer like, Boy? Like, I, don't, I don't even know what his, 
He doesn't have a personality. Like I don't even know. He's the one who's dying of cancer. Who likes Star Wars? He's the one who's dying of cancer. Yeah, and doesn't and doesn't get the girl. But then he so then he steps out of Skywalker Ranch and they they greet him there on the steps and say, "How was it?" And he says, "It was awesome." No, he doesn't even say that. He says, "Chewy." So it's like, you better believe that there's a. Oh, I thought I thought he said like awesome or something. No, he said chewy. Trust me, I've I guess seen you, this you, nine times. <laughs> you have seen this movie nine times. Well, that sucks. That's stupid. It's fanboys. What the fuck do you expect? <laughs> what do I want from this? And, it's and all yeah. stupid. <laughs> so so take us home, Ronnie. Where where do we where how do we round all this out? Now, there's an important scene where they're out camping on their way back to Ohio because uh, Bottler, Eric, main guy, is drawing again and he has, like, a, a brief moment with Cancer Boy and it's like, Bottler goes, I wish I could change the last three years and and uh, Linus goes, no, it's, you know, cool and everything. It's like, this was never about the movie, man. This was about all of us. And then... Then Bowler like excuses himself to go back to the gang and is like, "You coming, Linus?" Like, "No, I'm good right here." And then he he's like, he's like sitting shiva and he's like closes his eyes and it's like heavily implied that he just like dies at this moment. <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> it fades to to the closed eyes of uh, Bottler who is waking up to the sound of the alarm that uh, it's time for episode one to happen. Yeah, 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 yeah. So Linus is long dead in the ground. <laughs> Ashes scattered at the Skywalker Ranch, presumably. Presumably. And, and they uh, all they all get out of the tent because they've been camped out in front of the show, the movie theater. And if you're wondering if if uh, Windows and uh, Zoe are a couple, you better believe it because they're in the same sleeping bag and. Zoe, Veronica Mars, Kristen Bell has the line, that better be your lucky R2 poking me. Jay Burchell goes, nope, it's my penis. (laughs) What are we doing, ladies and gentlemen? What are we doing? First of all, the depths of perversity to even utter the phrase, your lucky R2. That's bad enough. But uh, yeah, boy, everything else thrown in there. Uh, yeah, I mean, this, I, I will say this one thing about this movie. It delivers the skin crawls the whole runtime. There is not one minute that will go without you reacting just repulsed at what you see on the screen. So yeah, they all. They this all was get probably in. this was probably the last the last time like uh, Christian Bell could uh, dress up as Slave Leia without like people getting angry at the movie. <laughs> yes. But yeah, that was her her costume for seeing Episode One. Um, were the other guys dressed up in costumes? I think they were just wearing Star Wars shirts. No, uh, I'm pretty sure uh, Windows is dressed as Obi Wan. That's right. That's and, right. That's right. And remember when we were watching it, and like 70 minutes in, I had the realization that the entire time Hutch was dressed as Fat Han Solo. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, we realized he was just he had the vest and everything. He was supposed to be Fat Han Solo the whole time. Yeah, and he's not there because he's because for some reason, uh, right before episode one starts, he's putting the uh, the sign on his business, which is like his hutch uh, hutch's I forget what it's called, but it's a detailing business. 
Yeah, it's like he's, car wash and He's detail. no longer just a loser. Yeah, he's, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, and, and also Bottler has a comic out um, called Rush, starring all of them in a Star Wars-like adventure, which suggests to me that he doesn't understand what copyright law is <laughs> or, or trademarks. He's, a, he's about to find out hard. From Mr. Lucas. <laughs> Two kids in Boba Fett costumes come up to him and is like, are you the guy who drew that comic? He's like, it sucks. And and then uh, um, uh, fucking Roy from the office, the U.S. office, uh, comes up and is like, hey, don't you nerds want an autograph from this guy? And kind of forces them to get autographs and then calls them uh, Boba F slurs. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I did a count, and uh, the F slur is uh, three times at least. Yeah, yeah, at least. Yeah, and I, I love that they get to sneak it in right at the very end, too. Yeah, and, and it's like, brother, what are you doing here? It's the wars. I love that about you. It's like, yeah, normal people like Star Wars, too. Right, right. That's, that's, that's actually seems, important to remember. And it seems to undercut a lot of what this movie's thrust is about because it just goes to show that oh no these guys are just unnaturally obsessed with a thing that everyone kind of knows about and enjoys anyway like it's not like they're they're fanboys for like a, i don't know like some fucking obscure 70s prog band or something they couldn't even do that they, they made them fans of the, the, the most famous 70s prog band for god's sake you know it's it's it it, it for it, it once again shows like the the idea of a Star Wars fan being a put-upon, derided minority, even in 1999, is just completely ridiculous. Um, yeah. But so they go inside and they, they get their seats. And, uh, and we have the last line of the movie. The last line of the movie. Normal guy Eric. They're, they're settling in. The lights go down. And he leans over and says, What if it sucks? Whoop! Cut to credits! Fanboys! Fanboys, everybody! It's a, a love letter to a movie everyone knows sucks, so they can throw that Directed by in. accused domestic abuser Kyle Newman. <laughs> Produced by convicted sexual abuser Harvey Weinstein. And, uh, and, and accused sex offender Kevin Spacey. Uh, and uh, written by... A man who should absolutely have the FBI raid his hard drive, Ernest Klein. See, I don't think Ernest Klein has the dimensions of character to be malicious. He's no. just a he's just a dope. He he's a dope, but I that's you can still get into some bad stuff that way, I, I would say. And I, I think of, you know, I don't know. Uh You're just well, thinking about the stuff on your hard drive. Look, no one needs to see all of my saved anatomical diagrams of extinct synapsids, okay? That's, that's mine. That's not anybody's business but mine. <laughs> but anyway. Just make sure your wife never opens your Battletech uh, folder. <laughs> I have all kinds of explicit drawings of, a, uh, <laughs> of, a, of an atlas really giving it to a commando. Uh, all, all the Battletech heads out there will really appreciate that one. Will they? Yes. Um, but okay. this is a good a good time to kind of like what? A, let's have our concluding thoughts and discussion. Well, not really. No, we want to, Ronnie. You had some recently discovered insight 
into the creative process because we know it was a troubled production, a lot of rewrites, a lot of reshoots. Um, but who who can we lay the blame for the Mantina scene, for instance? Uh, the well, the, hum- if the you, homophobic if you, reimagining. If you believe that the the Thrillist article that's an oral history of the movie Fanboys has any definitive source, that all comes down to Adam F. Goldberg operating uh, at the behest of Harvey Weinstein. Ah. Because, and I quote, Ernie Klein says, The Mantina is my least favorite scene. Any gay panic stuff makes me sad. It doesn't seem like that would still be even PC in the late 90s, but somehow Harvey Weinstein ended up being the guiding force and Adam wrote all of the changes Weinstein requested to the shooting script and on set. Whenever I watch the movie, all the changes that he passed down from on high are the ones that make me cringe. <laughs> and we actually had a discussion of this off the air about, like, you know, who to lay blame for the homophobia stuff because, you know, say what you will about Ernest Klein. He doesn't seem like a particularly homophobic guy. No, I mean he's he's corny and stupid. Uh, but yeah, th- there's for for all the faults that like Ready Player One and Ready Player Two have. Uh, like at, at no point is he like, yeah, calling someone the F slur for laughs or anything like that. That just never comes up. Um, apparently, I don't think Har- he. I don't think he has the sort of like sentience. Uh, Required to like form intent to be hateful. <laughs> All he can do is passively consume. So you know, the, yeah, the best we, exactly. He's, the, the, he's not capable of malice. Well, the most we'll get from him is uh, him reciting a homophobic joke from like Revenge of the Nerds or something. Exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. <clears throat> so apparently, Harvey Weinstein was really. I was fascinated by the idea that Harvey Weinstein, and this is the this is like 2007, right? I mean, he's still like a big time king shit. Hollywood Kingmaker. He had his, he had like the Weinstein company was still very respected and had a lot of like high caliber stuff going on, but he felt like he had to get personally involved in fanboys to the extent of telling them where to put in the gay jokes. In fact, a whole gay panic scene. That's just crazy. Well, he was probably like, you know, uh, that 40 year old virgin is, is uh, popular and, you know what makes that, that movie sing? It's the gay joke. So we need to gay joke <laughs> well, this movie up. That's what I thought was pretty interesting, that we were validated in our speculation, our earlier speculation in that, that, that excerpt from that oral history that you sent me, where, yeah, like Jay Baruchel was saying, like, well, I guess it was, it was on the heels of the Know How I Know You're Gay scene was a big hit from 40-Year-Old Virgin, you know. So, so like, yeah, I, I guess that is it. He was like, okay. You know, it's it's the closing years of the Bush era. We gotta we gotta work in our homophobia, folks. It's the real that's that's the real winner. Jay Baruchel has a pretty funny uh, remark in in that in that same oral history where he says, "I wouldn't I wouldn't make the gay jokes now, obviously. So a thousand years from now, people will find it. They'll be like soaring through ancient Roman Roman dialectics, and they'll find me making a gay joke about the Rocketeer or whatever the fuck." <laughs> that's pretty good. Um, but with with all that, I guess this gives us a chance to have our kind of concluding thoughts on this project. And and, and Ronnie, if you would allow me, I I've been cooking something up, a kind of a kind of all encompassing general theory about why fanboys could never be good. Um, 
and we've we've touched on a few things, but just to kind of like wrap it up. Uh, so Fanboys has gotten it's it's a bit legendary for just its trouble production and how it had to do like two different rounds of reshoots. And there's that's always an excuse, right? If someone is like if they want to defend it, they can always say that like, well, it got really mangled and you know, they had a lot of the studio execs got it stepped in, but you know Those aren't my gay jokes, those are Adam's. <laughs> those are Adam Goldberg's. Um but uh Ultimately, the the entire idea of it, the entire premise of it, cannot cannot hold. I feel like I just don't see how you can make a nostalgic period piece less than ten years out from the era you're period piecing about uh, an excitement around a major media property that ended up being like a boondoggle. Right? It's like if someone made a movie about people really looking forward to Waterworld 10 years after Waterworld came Island. out. Right. It's like, well, we know that they're wrong to be excited. Like, we know that this is a fool's errand. And the movie even admits that. The movie even is with us on that, with that last line. And I guess that's maybe supposed to be, like, the biggest punchline of all is on these guys for wasting their life caring about Star Wars. But also the only... The only person who could make something like this is someone who cares about Star Wars. So is this Ernest Klein's self-loathing coming out? The thing like, is, like, if you cut out all the gay jokes, all you have is just references to Star Wars. And so it's Rush. Like not even, not even comedy. <laughs> that's, like, that's I mean, true. say what you will about like the 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 premise that there there are gay bikers that will rape you unless you dance for them. At least that that's. That's definable as comedy. It's not good comedy, but it's comedy. But yeah, just saying yeah, yeah. like Star Wars lines is just is not. It's just saying Star Wars lines. Yeah, it's really incredibly misbegotten, just from top to bottom, and in a really fascinating way, though. So I I do want to say I'm glad that you made me watch this. <laughs> I'm not. I'm I'm glad I made you watch it too. I'm going to thread the needle here, and I, I I think our listeners are sophisticated enough to know what I'm saying. I'm not glad that I have seen this, but I'm glad that Ronnie made me watch it. I am glad that I passed on the mind virus of fanboys <laughs> to another host. It's just really, really astonishing. It's, And I'm thinking more about, like, it's trying to... Say so, okay, so I, I'm thinking about it more and more, and I realize what Ernest Klein was trying to do. He was trying to have his cake and eat it too. He was trying to make a a, a, a salute to fandom, right? A, a a a little bit of slice of life that fans can relate to, and to celebrate Star Wars and the people who love it, while also get, getting humor at their expense for that that very thing, and. I guess there's a way that could be done. Maybe this isn't just completely... Maybe as a concept, it's not totally without any kind of way it could have been salvaged. But Ernest Klein is not the guy to have done it. And definitely not, you know, Adam Goldberg punching it up or Harvey Weinstein telling them to make more rape jokes, which is chilling to think about. Um, but, but yeah, it's trying to have its cake and eat it too, where it's like, uh, look at how much camaraderie and joy these people get out of sharing their love of this artwork combined with look at what despicable turds and losers. These people are 
and and they they find refuge with each other via their shared love of this corporate dreck. Like it, it's just you got to pick a lane. The thing and, is, their love of Star Wars is so joyless. I mean, they have no perspective on it. They have no opinions about Star Wars. It's not like they have favorites of anything. It's just like they just take Star Wars as a as a discrete entity that they interact with. Yeah, and that must be that must be defended and upheld with physical violence. <laughs> like if someone calls if someone calls Han Solo an F slur, you have to drive your van into their house or whatever. Uh, Whereas Star Trek is for the gays. Star Trek is for the real dweebs. It's just an astonishing. And you and you add that like so right from the kind of the mission statement, there's this tonal mismatch, and you add into that the fact that. No one involved could actually carry that tonal mismatch into anything interesting. And instead, they just add more tonal mismatches to it. <laughs> you know, with like the maudlin music cues and the, and the horned in romance between two people who have like never had an ounce of chemistry between them. Uh, just. And I, hey, and I'm not saying Jay, Jay Baruchel can't. Land, uh, you know, Kristen Bell. I mean, she ended up married to Dax Shepard, who who's literally a Neanderthal. Is I was gonna say is no one's idea of a handsome-looking man, <laughs> but but milk-fed hominid. It still just makes is unearned, unearned. Everything in this film is unearned and is not interested in earning anything. And I think ultimately we have to chalk that up to the fact that Ernest Klein is a sponge. He uncritically absorbs. And he can then excrete it, but he can't do anything with it. And he doesn't even know how he feels about it. And it's he's really... like a, he's like a, he's like the robot at the beginning of Alien Covenant about how like he can, he can replicate any, any, uh, uh, like, uh, any song on the piano, but he can't make his own song. Yeah, 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 yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and and that I think that condition means that you can't listen to a song either. You can you can reproduce it, you can have the notes and whatever, but I would be very interested to listen to Ernest Klein explain what he likes about Star Wars. It was shit from his childhood. Right. I don't think he could do it. I don't think he could do it. Um But it's, so all this to say it's a really fascinating document that is also just a, a chore to sit through. Uh, and isn't that really what we're all about here on Thronderdome? <laughs> I just love how the, I just love how the, the reputation of the movie just gets worse and worse after more and more people involved turn out to be sex creeps. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's not looking good. Uh, it'll, it'll just be down to Ernest Klein and Jay Baruchel by the end of it. Because I mean, because even I do even like with... I do like I do like how in the the thrillist uh, article, Ernest Klein expresses a desire to do a director's cut of fanboys that cuts out all the gay panic and gross out humor. <laughs> but I so mean, you're, left... you're 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 down to like a sixty-two minute movie if you if you cut out the gay panic and the gross out humor. And also, I would point out that would be a screen a screenwriter's cut, <laughs> not a director's cut. Yeah, <laughs> which sounds. Awful. I don't ever want to see a screenwriter's cut in my life. Um, 
I mean, all, all support. And, and, I, and I just laugh at like Coen going. It just breaks my heart that our little Star Wars fan tribute film has become so tainted. <laughs> oh no! And uh, I mean, I think that's it's instructive in how he views it. It's a fan tribute film, like it's right. not even a tribute to Star Wars. It's a it's a, it's tribute, a tribute to, to Star, Star Wars, Wars fans, fans, and it's also very insulting to them. I, you know, I mean, don't get me wrong. I, I also I hate everyone who likes the things I like. Don't get me wrong, but. Uh, I do think it's funny that this is like the last possible time you could make this movie without it just being needlessly political. Because imagine making this in like 2016 or something, or like in in reference to the Last Jedi. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I was thinking about it. It would be impossible without making it hopelessly political, just in the sense of like, uh. And in the sense of just like making something that doesn't completely cater to the fan community, right? Like it's actively insulting the fan community. So you would have like any number of, of you know, Tumblr damaged uh, people posting about how it was a literal violence against them to make a movie where Star Wars likers were nerds. But as I said uh, before, I believe... Uh... The director, Kyle Newman, has some very interesting uh, opinions about why uh, The Last Jedi had a positive critical reception. Yeah, could, could we explore that for a little bit? What has what what he said about that? Uh, I don't know like precisely what he said, but it, basically that, that critics were forced to give it a, a positive reviews. Yeah, it was something like they were, they were paid off by Disney to yeah. in like a payola scam. To give it positive reviews, so just kind of doing GamerGate for the the second Disney Star Wars movie, which is an incredibly sad thing to be a part of. Yeah, I I just imagine fanboys too just having a lot of really cool opinions about uh, women and black people being in Star <laughs> Wars. <laughs> I feel that we should write fanboys too about some rabid Thronderdome fans who, uh, like, someone is getting set to be deported, but before they do, they want to meet their heroes, Daniel and Ronnie. So they go on a madcap, they go on a madcap cross-country road trip, and it has to be cross-country because, of course, we live in, in you know, far-flung uh, places to, to meet their heroes and uh, tell them how much the show meant to them. We, we could write that script. And then the twist ending, their plan is to kill us. Their plan is to kill us. I, I would like to point out for you, Ronnie, mostly, but also the listeners at home, my, uh, my wife entered the room to uh, get herself a little snack while I'm in here recording. And at my, my pitch for Fanboys 2, through my headphones, I heard an audible sigh. Just a groan. But... <laughs> 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 Classic. And uh, and now she's going back upstairs and flipped me the dang bird. That's my my blushing bride, everybody. Uh, <laughs> and that's how you should be treated. It is. That's how I deserve to be treated because I'm a Star Wars consumer. Not even like her. I, I'm a Star Wars imbiber. So I deserve yeah, it's the really worst. that that Trump tweet about y'all keep drinking that garbage. <laughs> but the thing about fanboys is, is it has forced Ronnie and I to examine our own conflicted relationship with fandom and, and Star Wars liking and Rush enjoying. 
so in the end, can that really be said to be a failure of art or perhaps the greatest success of all? I mean, I'm just really hoping that this is the, this is the last time I watch fanboys in my life, but <laughs> that's probably not the case. I think you've. I think we've said the last word on fanboys. We can. We can all put it to bed. We can send. We'll. We'll send this podcast to Thrillist, and they can. They can tap out a uh, a uh, a transcript, and have this be the last word on fanboys. But it's definitely not the last word from Thronderdome. No, because uh, I, not only. I'm definitely looking. I'm looking forward a lot more to our next bonus episode. Yes, yes, which we we have mentioned before. But our next bonus episode is going to be an exploration of the non-Star Wars career of Anthony Daniels. And you can accomplish 50% of that exploration by watching one movie. Uh, I bought a vampire motorcycle from, from 1990. Uh, and so a, a horror comedy from Great Britain, a place known, of course, for just being uh, a very funny and scary place. So that's one we're hoping to if you if you've ever wondered what the gay robot does when he's not a robot or gay yeah uh, you'll find out i bought a vampire motorcycle (laughs) which we will cover on our next bonus episode your uh in between season bonus episodes of thronderdome while we wait on 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 tenterhooks on the edges of our seats to begin the third and final chapter or sorry the third and final novel in the Thrawn trilogy, The Last Command, for Season 3. But uh, before that comes, of course, keep an eye out for our next bonus episode. Uh, so I, I, I have to believe it can't It can't be worse than, than fanboys, honestly. Well, you're talking about... It's a, a vampire ho- motorcycle. Come yeah, you're, ta- you're talking about a horror comedy from 1990, man. Come, I mean, we'll see. <laughs> well, it's got Anthony Daniels in it. Oh, Anthony Daniels, C-3PO, really? Wow, yeah. okay. Yeah, I'll check it out. TV right. C-3PO. <laughs> so TV C-3PO, who you may recall from the Saturday morning cartoon Droids, uh, will be starring in the next movie we talk about. So uh, signing off, this has, been, this has been Movie Chat with the Movie Heads. Uh, and uh, we will see you for our next bonus episode. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs>